Today we're continuing our walk through the book of Ruth. Have you guys enjoyed the book of Ruth? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have read ahead a little bit? Awesome. Good, good, good. Great book, great book. We're going to uh, delve into it a little bit uh, deeper today. This is the fourth message in the series, and we'll be going through the month of July in the book of Ruth. It is the first message from chapter 2, and uh, chapter 2 is actually going to be one message. We'll be in chapter 3 next week. So a really quick background, Elimelech is uh, like the main character in the first chapter, and Elimelech is an Israelite, and there is a famine in Israel. Elimelech is from Bethlehem. There's a famine in Bethlehem, and instead of him staying there and trusting God to meet his needs and meet the needs of his family, he goes running to a pagan country. Because in Moab, the pagan country we're talking about, there's not a famine there. So instead of trusting God, so much to preach right there. Instead of trusting God, he goes running toward uh, what is ungodly to have his needs met. And it ends in disaster. In a little while, he's dead. His sons marry Moabite women, and that was against God's law. Israelites were not supposed to marry Moabite women. How many of you know God is the only person, though, who can take your scrambled eggs and put them back in the shell and make them right again? Are you happy about that? So even though that was a messed up thing and they married those Moabite women, God made something good out of it. And uh, so Elimelech died in a few years, and then his sons died. So he led, he led his family now into a pagan land. He died. His sons died. So now left in that pagan land all alone is, are the three women, Naomi and uh, Orpah and um, Ruth. And so Naomi hears that in Bethlehem the famine's over and now there's a famine in Moab. And so she leaves Moab to go back to Bethlehem. How many of you know they should have never left Bethlehem? How many of you know when you're in a famine in God's country, if you'll stay strong and hang in there, God's coming back. He's going to bring it back. Somebody needs to hear that today. Some of you are in Bethlehem, but there's a famine. You're where God wants you to be, but there's a famine. You're going through a rough time. Don't leave. Don't leave and seek other sources, ungodly sources, to have your needs met. Make sure you stay right there and be patient and trust God in the darkness. Trust God in the tough times. Trust God when you look all around you and it looks like there's no way your needs are going to be met. Trust God. Somebody needs that word today. And so Naomi hears that Bethlehem is um, not in famine anymore and she goes back to Bethlehem. Well, Orpah and Ruth assume they're going with her. They are very close to Naomi now. They've grown very close to her. Naomi has been in Moab, though, for a long time, so now her thinking's messed up, and she's depressed. How many of you know this? If you hang out in Moab, your thinking will get messed up. When God's people hang out in Moab, their perspective gets messed up. So she began to advise them, don't go with me. Don't go with me back to Bethlehem. That's bad advice from a godly woman. Do you know godly people can get away from God and give you bad advice? So you don't, even, you don't uh, need to just seek the counsel of a person who is a believer. You need to seek the counsel of a person who is a healthy believer. There's some unhealthy believers. 
And so Naomi's giving bad advice, and after a while, Orpah goes, okay, okay, I'll go back. And she listens to that bad advice. Do you know we never hear from her again? We never hear from her in the Bible again. But Ruth looks at Naomi. What does she say? Hey, sister, where you go, your people will be, and your God will be. Don't even try to tell me to go back to Moab. No way. Listen to this. You know what Ruth was saying? I've tasted a little bit of God, and it tastes so good, I could never go back to Moab. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? And some of you are sitting here, and some of you are watching online, and you've tasted God, but you've drifted into Moab. Come on back. Come on back to Bethlehem. Listen to me. There's always a way back. God always provides a way back. So I'm saying to you, come on home. Come on back. How many of you have drifted into Moab before and had to come back to Bethlehem? I have. I have. So that's the story. That's the background. And uh, Ruth, of course, is the key person in the story. A real good um, uh, tip that Ruth is the key person is that the book is called the book of Ruth. So there's a tip for you. So <laughs> thank you for laughing at that. I was thought nobody was going to get that. So she represents, listen to this. She represents, so Elimelech represents Israelites who have gone astray. And uh, um, Naomi, um, she, she is a type or a picture of a remnant of Israel that is returning back to Israel in bitterness. And that kind of ties into the end times. And then we have Orpah there. And uh, she goes back to Moab and stays. And then Ruth, who does Ruth represent? She represents us. Figure somebody goes, she represents you, Pastor. You're pointing at yourself. She does. She represents me. She represents you. Listen to me. Ruth represents Gentiles. Thank God Jesus made a way for the Gentiles to be saved. Any non-Jewish people here happy about that today? We get grafted in. We got grafted into the commonwealth of Israel. And so Ruth represents us. And more accurately, Ruth actually represents a Gentile bride that will be one day married to Jesus Christ. We are the bride of Christ. You heard that re reference before? We're the bride of Christ. He's the bridegroom. And at the rapture, when he comes back, there's going to be a marriage. And that's going to be awesome. And we're going to talk more about that in just a minute. So we're in chapter 2, and we're going to introduce Boaz today. Y'all been waiting for Boaz. I know you women been waiting for Boaz. And Boaz is here, and um, he represents who? Jesus Christ. He represents the Redeemer. He represents our Savior. So in chapter 2, here's what chapter 2 of Ruth teaches. It teaches all about the grace of God. It teaches all about the unmerited favor of God. Sometimes God favors you, and you're like, I don't even know why. I mean, I really haven't been doing that great lately, but he just favors you anyway. It's grace. It's mercy. It's something you don't deserve. It's something you didn't do something to get it. You just get it. It's, it's unmerited love. Now, Ruth, listen to this now. Ruth represents us. 
She's going to become the bride of Boaz, who represents Jesus. And how does a woman like Ruth become the bride of a great man like Boaz? Here's how, by grace. And that is the same way that we become the bride of Christ, by grace. There is nothing you can do to become part of the bride of Christ except lean on, depend on, embrace the grace and mercy and forgiveness of Jesus. You are not saved by what you do. You say, well, I like to go feed the hungry and I pay my tithe and I give offerings to the church. And Hey, man, thank you. Awesome. That has nothing to do with your salvation. It has nothing to do with you being right with God. If it did, then the man hanging on the cross beside Jesus could never have been saved because he had done no good thing. The guy who was hanging on the cross beside Jesus had never done a good thing in his life. What did he do? He believed. He trusted in the grace of Jesus. And what did Jesus say to that man who had never done one good thing in his life? He said, today I will see you in paradise. You say, I don't get that. That doesn't seem fair. You mean to tell me a person can live bad all their life and right at the end trust God and be saved and go to heaven? Yes. I would not recommend that plan. Because sometimes death comes suddenly. So I wouldn't, rem- I wouldn't recommend that plan. But yes, that, that is the grace of God. That is the forgiveness of God. What I would recommend is that if you haven't already done it, that today you will trust the grace of God. And today you will come to Jesus. And today you will humble yourself before him and receive him as your personal Savior so you can enjoy the benefits of grace. And um, this scripture isn't going to come up on the screen, but if you're taking notes, write down Ephesians 2.8. Ephesians 2.8. Listen to this. Listen to Ephesians 2.8. And I'm going to read out of the King James Version in case Jesus comes today. I wanted to make sure. Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Listen to what it says. And that not of yourselves. In other words, not your works. It is a gift of God. It is a gift of God. I'll give you five qualities of grace today. Five qualities of grace. We're going to hit them real quick. Okay? Number one, grace redeems you. Grace saves you. Listen, because of grace, you have an opportunity to go to heaven when you pass from this life. Grace saves your soul. It is by grace that you are redeemed. uh, Look at Ruth 2 and 1. There was a relative of Naomi's husband. Who was Naomi's husband? Elimelech. There was a relative of Naomi's husband. That meant he was a what? He was a kinsman. A man of great wealth. And the ladies are going, that's what I'm talking about. Of the family of Elimelech. And his name was Boaz. Boaz. As you read the book of Ruth, Boaz is described as a man of power, a man of influence, a man of kindness, a man of generosity, also a man of great wealth, and a man of great strength. But Ruth, see, that's a picture of Jesus. Ruth is us. Let me tell you about Ruth. Ruth represents the Gentiles. She has nothing. She has no way to provide for herself, just like we have no way to save ourselves or provide for ourselves. 
She needs a Savior. She needs somebody, just like we do. She needs somebody to step in. She needs somebody to redeem her. She needs somebody to reach out to her. She needs somebody to save her. She's weak. She's been in a famine in Moab. She's a pagan Moabite. She's a a woman who is far from God. And like us, she lives under a curse. And the law of Israel excludes her. The law of Israel says because you are not a Jew, you cannot know God. But Jesus and his grace includes her. The law excludes you and the law excludes me. But there's the New Testament. Jesus came and embraced the Gentiles and gave us a way to know him as our personal Lord and Savior. Somebody say hallelujah. There was a law in Israel known as the law of the kinsman redeemer. If a man were to die and he did not have the means to settle his financial obligations, then a near kinsman could come in and redeem his family, pay off his debts and redeem his family and pay in full for that estate, and he would get that estate. Now, notice the other part of this law said that he would then marry his brother's wife, who is now a widow, and raise up her children or have children with her. So back then, you wanted to really know what your brother's wife looked like. It was just a different system back then. Just a totally different system, and it all blends with the Scriptures and is a a picture of Jesus And all of that, and I would ask you to study that more in depth. I want us to think a little bit about Boaz being like Jesus. I want to to just give you some things I found, and you might find more when you study, but here's some things I found that just shows how Boaz pictured Jesus, pictures Jesus. Boaz was from Bethlehem, so was Jesus. He was a near kinsman to Ruth. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews 2, 14 through 16, that Jesus is a near kinsman to us. The Bible says that Boaz was a very wealthy man. And in Philippians 4 and 19, it tells us that we can know all of the riches of heaven when we come to Jesus because all the riches of heaven are found in him. Boaz had to be willing to redeem Ruth. He could have ignored her. So in order to save her, he had to be willing to redeem her. And we know from John chapter 10, verses 17 through 18, that Jesus Christ willingly left heaven and came here and gave his life for our sins. And then that ties in really with the next one. Boaz came to where Ruth was. And we'll talk about that in more detail in just a minute. But he came to her. He came to her as Jesus left the glories of heaven and came to us, John chapter 6, verse 38. Let me ask you something. I know that kind of, that's kind of preacher stuff right there, but isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful in the Old Testament? I know I say it all the time, but let me remind you again. When you read the Old Testament, don't put Jesus in the New Testament and go, I'm going to read the Old Testament and then I'll get to Listen to me. Jesus is all through the Old Testament. The Old Testament says a Savior is coming, a Redeemer is coming, a Messiah is coming. And in the New Testament, He comes. 
and then he lives a a perfect life, and then he dies on the cross, and then he's buried in a tomb, and then he rises from the dead, and then the word comes as he ascends into heaven after being risen. He will come again in like manner as he has gone away from you. Jesus is all through the Bible. Don't miss it, don't miss it, don't miss it. So grace redeems, number two, grace is sovereign. I love this. Here's what that means. That the grace of God means God's looking after you. That God's got you covered. Sovereign means that God looks down. We see see the moment we're in. And then we can look back in the past and we can remember some things in the past. And then we can look to the future and imagine what might be coming in the future. And then we know some things that are really coming in the future because Jesus said they were coming. So we just kind of live in the moment we're in. But you know what? When God looks down, this is awesome. Now listen to this. He sees all of time at once. And he sees you on that line where you are. He knows all about your past. Listen to this. He knows every bit of your future. And he is sovereign. When you submit your life to Jesus, he is sovereign over you. The Bible says the steps of a man of faith, the steps of a woman of faith, the steps of a person who has trusted God as Savior and surrenders their life to his will every day of their life, he will order their steps. He's sovereign. Look what it says. Now, this is not going to come on the screen, so you're going to need to follow along in your Bible there. Ruth chapter 2, verse 2. So Ruth, the Moabite woman or the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I might find grace or favor. And she, Naomi, said to her, Ruth, go, my daughter. Verse 3, then she, Ruth, left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Look how the scripture puts that. She just happened to come to the field of Boaz. How many of y'all know God ordered her steps? She didn't just happen to be in the field of Boaz. God ordered her steps. And when you're in famine and when you have nothing, God will order your steps into favor and blessing if you will trust him. He's going to take care of you. He said, my seed don't go begging bread. He said, my, 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 my children don't go door to door seeking food. He said, I take care of my children. And so here it is. He says, go, my daughter. And then she left and went and gleaned in the field of the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now, back in that day, there was something called a welfare law. And here's how that welfare law worked. If you were wealthy and you had uh, fields of grain, and and really, you know, it's so much different than it used to be um, today than it used to be back in the day. uh, farmers back in that day, and especially in the Middle East, they were, they were, if you owned a lot of land and you were a farmer, you were a husbandman, uh, you tilled the soil, you tilled the land, uh, you were very wealthy. And so the Bible says that, that um, there was a law called the, called the um, um, it was like a welfare law, and, and what you were supposed to do if you were really wealthy is when you were gleaning, when you were harvesting your crops, and, and, and grain would fall on the ground, the law said, don't go pick that up. You don't need it. You're wealthy. Just let that fall to the ground, and then let the poor 
who don't have any fields, they don't have grain, they can't even pay for it, let them come walk behind and pick up what you dropped. Isn't that a compassionate law? Isn't that a loving law? And um, so that law was there, and Ruth, like us, had nothing. And she's thinking, maybe I can find a little grain. Maybe I can find a little grace from the fields of the wealthy. And so we see the sovereignty of God in this. I think it's, I think it's in the sovereignty of God that Ruth and Naomi arrive in Israel right at harvest time. How many of you know God ordered that? You with me? See how when you surrender to God, he orders your life. You can't see it. That's why you have to trust him. See, if you could see everything and know all the answers that were coming, what kind of trust would that take? You have to trust God when you can't see. You have to trust God when it's dark. And so Ruth knew. She said, I'm just going to trust God. And so uh, uh, Naomi, uh, her life was in God's hands, even though she had strayed away. How many of you know God will keep his hand on you even when you're being stubborn? And God put his hand on Ruth, and he ordered them, ordered their steps. And so they ended up back in Israel right at harvest time. Perfect. So that's the sovereignty of God. That's the providence of God. Here's what the word providence means. The word providence means God sees ahead and makes provision. That's what that word means. He sees ahead and makes provision. So in the providence of God, they got here just in time for the harvest. Again, I bring up the point that Ruth ended up in the field of Boaz, who was her near kinsman, who could actually not just give her some grain, but redeem her, buy her her husband's estate back and restore her, which is what we're going to see her do, what we're going to see him do. All of that was in the plan of God. Uh, Boaz just happens to show up. You know, Boaz didn't go to the fields every day. I mean, he's the boss. He's the owner. He didn't go to the fields every day. And so, but on that day, when Ruth was there, guess who shows up in the field? Boaz. Boaz shows up that day. Listen to me. Do you hear what I'm saying? God orders the life of his children. The reason a lot of us do without so many wonderful things that God wants to give us is because we want to order our own life. If we would surrender to him and trust him, he would order our steps. He would put us in the field. He would put us there at the right time. He would cause things to cross our path that would bless us and meet our needs. But the reason we miss out so many times is because we won't let him order our life. We don't want to live that close to him. We want control, and when you get control, I don't know what happens to you when you get control, but when I get control of my life, it messes everything up. And so here they are. God is sovereign over this situation. I want you to hear me today. He's sovereign over your situation. Some of you right here right now are really going through a dark time, and you're hearing the voice of the enemy say, run to that. Run over there and do that. You know, God, he doesn't know where you are. He, he doesn't realize what kind of trouble you're in. You've been praying and praying and trusting God and nothing's happening. Run to Moab. Run over to Moab. Don't. Don't. Get on your knees and say, God, I don't see you. I don't feel you. I don't hear you. I don't smell you. I don't feel like you're anywhere near me, but I know you are because you said you'd never leave me. And I know you're going to take care of me, God. And I don't even know how I'm going to eat tomorrow or I don't know how I'm going to pay that bill tomorrow or I don't know how you're going to meet that need in my life tomorrow. But I know this, I know you love me and I know you won't turn your back on me. 
And when you have that kind of faith, you're going to see miracle working in your life like Boaz uh, did and like Ruth did. And I love this. I love how the Bible's so cool here about how Boaz reacts to Ruth because she was a fine-looking thing. Now, I'm telling you right there, that's in the Farrell Hardison version of the Bible. So Boaz sees Ruth, I love it, out there, and he says, who is that woman? So he's scanning, you know, he sees all those ugly men out there reaping, you know, and they're working and they're collecting the harvest. And in the midst of all those ugly men, booyah! I mean, he was sitting on his horse and he said, oh, glory. He said, who is that woman? She's beautiful. Boaz, you say, I thought he was a man of God. Hey, man of God ain't blind, bro. We're men of God, but we ain't blind. That's what I said about Miss Millie when I saw her. Who is that? And so Boaz is like any other man. She's single. Somebody's writing down right now. Uh, men of God ain't blind, bruh. Uh, so, so Boaz, he's like any other man. She's single because her husband died. Boaz is unmarried. And you know, Ruth's been through so much. And she's beaten down. See, she's like us. She's broken. She's bankrupt. She's bruised. She's cursed. She's crushed. Ruth's like us without Jesus and in the sovereignty of God. See, she could have gone back to Moab. She could have been like Orpah. She could have looked at, she could have looked at, at Naomi and said, you're right. But she said, no, this is the will of God for my life. I'm staying in the will of God. And because she stayed in the will of God and didn't run from the will of God in the sovereignty of God, just at the right time, a redeemer comes on the scene to meet all her needs. Look at number three. I love this. Grace does not only redeem us. Grace is not only sovereign, but it chases us. I love that. It pursues us. There's a scripture in the Bible that uh, describes God as a greyhound. And I heard an African-American preacher preach a sermon one time that made me shout called, uh, called uh, uh, God's greyhound or God's bloodhound. And he talked about how when uh, people are, like if you're here today and you're not a Christian and your mama's praying for you and your aunts and uncles are praying for you and we're praying for you here at the bridge, uh, let me tell you something, that puts the hound on your trail. How many of y'all remember the days before you were a Christian and the hound was on your trail pursuing you? Some of you are sitting right here right now and you're under conviction. You're kind of miserable. You're kind of hard to live with. You're kind of ornery. And you know why you are? Because the Holy Spirit's dealing with you about coming on in. And you're pushing and you're fighting and you're fussing. And I remember those days. The hound of heaven is on your trail because we've been praying for you. And he's pursuing you. He's pursuing you. He's calling you. He wants you. He wants your life. He wants you to surrender to him. Ruth chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. Let's read it real quick. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. So he arrives on the scene. I can see him, you know. He's about 6'4", you know, got a 30-inch waistline. Rides up on his horse and hair blowing in the wind. You know. He rides up. He goes, The Lord be with you. And uh, those who worked for him and the other people who were there, you know, the poor people who were gleaning, they said, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. 
And then Boaz said to his servants who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is that? I love that. Verse, uh, verse 9. Eight, I'm sorry, verse 5. Then verse 6. So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman. You remember hearing about her, Boaz, the, the woman named Ruth? She's the one who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Did you know the grace of God pursued Ruth and the grace of God's pursuing you. Here's what I love. Who does Boaz picture? Who does he picture? Come on. And he's the one taking initiative. He's the one taking the initiative to reach out to her. Because see, here's the deal, y'all. There's nothing in you that wants God. There's nothing in us that desires God. Now, a person who doesn't know God, they're empty inside and they're after something. That's why you see people doing all kinds of weird, freaky stuff these days. They're trying to fill a void in their life, but they don't know it's God. That's why the church is here, so we can tell them. That emptiness in you is Jesus. That's, Jesus is the only one who can feel that. And so Boaz takes the initiative. Now, here's why Ruth couldn't take the initiative. She was a woman, he was a man, she was bankrupt, he was wealthy, she was a pagan, he was an Israelite, she was a peasant, he was a man of great power and wealth and influence, she was a beggar, and he owned it all. Listen to me, Ruth didn't have a chance unless Boaz took the initiative and came seeking for her. Can I tell you something right now? You don't have a chance. You don't have a chance to go to heaven when you die. I don't have a chance to be right with God unless first Jesus reaches out to me. There is nothing in me to reach out to Jesus. There's nothing in me that wants to reach out to Jesus. He reached out to me. How many of y'all remember old song we used to sing? Got some old people here today. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Give me the next line. Because he first loved me. I didn't start out loving Jesus. I didn't love Jesus. But when he loved me, when he loved me first, I felt that love. Then I loved him back. But I couldn't love him first. He had to take the initiative. Where is that in the Bible, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. It's in the book right before 2 John, which would be what? First, very good. 1 John 4, 19, we love him because, there it is, say it again. He took the initiative. Everybody say out loud, I'm glad. Jesus took the initiative. Thank God for that. Look at Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were what? Still sinners what? He loved us so much he gave his son to die for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God takes the initiative because there's nothing in us that wants him. I love Luke 15 where you got the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son. And the Bible shows the woman with the broom and the candle, and she's looking for the lost coin. That's a picture of Jesus looking for us lost. The Bible says that the shepherd left the 99 sheep that were safe and went after the one that had gone astray. The Bible says that when the boy came home, the father saw him afar off 
and ran to him and fell on him and kissed him and welcomed him into the family. The grace of God is pursuing you right here this morning. Let's go to number four. Grace fulfills us. Grace satisfies us. Ruth chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, and she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So um, uh, she's talking there to, um, let me see, let me read this, get the right context. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after. Okay, this is, uh, this is the, the um, workers of Boaz still talking to Boaz about what Ruth said to them. Y'all with me on that? So these are Boaz workers, and they're telling Boaz what Ruth said. Uh, and she said to us, Boaz, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came, she came, we let her do it, and she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little while in the house. And then verse 8, then Boaz said to Ruth. So they tell, Ruth, they tell Boaz what Ruth said. Now Boaz is addressing Ruth for the very first time. And he says, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field. I want you in my field. Do not go to anybody else's field. I want you to come here. You're welcome here. You're going to find all you need right here. Think about Jesus now. And think about, and think about Ruth being us. He says, don't go somewhere else to get your need met. He said, I got all you need right here. Just come to me right here. Y'all with me out there? Do not go to glean in another field nor go from here, but stay close. Stay close. That's the word of the Lord to you today. He says, I've got other women here in the field working. I want you to stay close to those women. I love this. Boaz is saying, now don't get, you stay away from them boys. You stay away from them boys because they're red-blooded boys too. And you just stay away from them because I've already got my eye on you. That's the feral hardest conversion. Verse 9, he says, let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, you go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Mm. This is emotional for me. He says, Ruth, are you hungry? He said, you come eat in my fields. He says, I've got all you need. You come to my field and you eat of the grain. You're always welcome and there will always be plenty. That's the word of the Lord to you. He says, Ruth, are you thirsty? He said, you'll never thirst again. He said, you just come back here. And he said, you come and drink from the vessels that my men draw water and they'll have plenty of water for you always, always. Hear the word of the Lord, church. Hear the word of the Lord. Look at verse 14. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, listen now, he's Jesus. He's talking to us here. Come here and eat of the bread and dip your bread in the wine, the vinegar. So she sat down beside the reapers. He's brought her right into the house. He's brought her right into the house. And he says, I want you to sit down right here beside the reapers. And he passed the parched grain to her, and she ate, I love this, and was, this is what the Bible says, she was satisfied. See, when you eat what Jesus gives, you're satisfied. When you eat from other sources, you're always miserable. 
You're always unhappy. You're always hungry. It doesn't satisfy so much to preach here in so little time. And the Bible says, and kept, but Ruth kept some back. I love that because that tells me that she was getting some for Naomi. So when we get something for God, it's not just for us, is it? We're supposed to what? Come on. Give it away. Yes. You never receive anything from God to keep it for yourself. That's the way you keep yourself fresh in the Lord. Whatever he gives you, go give it away and then come back and get fresh from him. Verse 15, and when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean among the sheaves. Now here's what that means. He said, you know what? The sheaves that you've already bundled up and you've put them in the barn, he said, don't even, don't even make her go out back out there in the field and pick it up. He said, just let her go in the barn and get that we've already harvested. I mean, this man's in love, y'all. He is in love. And it's also showing the love of Jesus for us. He says, do not reproach her. Do not, in other words, don't stop her from doing that. He's, he's like, I know that's very unusual that I would let something like that happen or we would let a, a peasant woman go into our barns and, and get grain there. We need, we in the past, they, are, they have to get it from the field and reap what we've dropped on the ground. He said, but this Ruth lady, he said, just let her go in the barn and get the grain. Don't y'all think that's awesome? So beautiful. He said, and then when you're out there in the field and she's out there, he said, verse 16, let a little grain from the bundles just fall purposefully. I mean, this dude's after this girl. He said, I want you to just drop some on the ground. I want you to just throw some handfuls on purpose. Just throw them right down there on the ground so she can get that for her. Leave it that she may glean. He said, and don't rebuke her. Ruth is reaping from the fields of Boaz, eating from the fields of Boaz till she's full and satisfied. She's drinking from the vessels until her thirst is quenched. She's taking food back to Naomi because of the grace of Boaz. Now, when I got right here on this point, I thought, well, I'm through with that point. And then something dawned on me. She's going to marry Boaz one day. And I thought about, you know, Jesus hadn't come yet. That great marriage in the sky has not taken place yet. So now we're just gleaning. He drops some on purpose, and he takes care of us, and he gives us plenty, and we got everything we need, and he's dropping it on purpose. But you know what? One day Ruth's going to marry Boaz, and when she marries him, the kingdom becomes hers. Everything that's his all of a sudden becomes hers. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a day coming. When Jesus is going to come, and we're going to be caught up to meet him in the air, and there's going to be a marriage, and there'll be no more gleaning in this earth. We will marry the king, and everything that is his will become ours. Hallelujah. Oh, what great news, what great news, what great news for us. The bridegroom will return, and we, the bride of Christ, will marry our heavenly Boaz, and everything that is his will be ours. The Bible says the meek shall inherit what? The earth. But not this one, the glorified one. Number five, and then we're done. Grace protects us. Grace protects us. Boaz wants Ruth to be protected. 
Look at verse 9. He says, have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? Look at him protecting her. Look, think about Jesus protecting us. I'll tell you all something. I don't know what you're feeling in the environment of this world and culture of this world we live in, but if, as a Christian, you need protection of God like you've never needed it before. We live in an anti-God, anti-church, anti-Bible, anti-Jesus environment, but we can thrive in it if we will trust our heavenly Boaz to protect us. Look at verse 12. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel. He's talking to Ruth here, and then he says this to Ruth. He says, he's talking about the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge, the protective wings of God. You know what? He's just like that mother hen. You ever seen a mother hen and her little bitties? Got some country people here. Who knows what a bitty is? Little bitty chicken. And that mother hen just throws those wings out and those little bitties run up under there. And I'm going to tell you, you better not mess with them. She'll peck your eyes out. And the Bible says that God is like that hen and we come up under there. Now you can't be protected if you're off out here. But if you come up under that, those wings, he'll cover you. He'll protect you. He'll take care of you. When you and I surrender to our Boaz, Jesus, our kinsman, redeemer, we're covered by his hand. Let me just give you this, and then I'm done. As a child of God, when you feel vulnerable and you feel down, I want you to write this, I want you to write this scripture reference down because I want you to read this whole chapter. This needs to be one of your favorite chapters in the Bible. It's chapter 91 of Psalms. And it's all about him protecting us. Let's read the first two verses. Whoever goes to the Lord... What? What's the condition? Whoever what? Goes to the Lord for safety. Whoever remains under the protection of the Almighty can say to him, You, Lord God, are my defender. You, Lord God, are my you are my God in you. I will trust. Let me tell you something. Psalm 91 just keeps on reading like that. So when you feel vulnerable, when you feel unprotected, Get out that Bible and get into the infallible and errant word of God in Psalm 91 and read about how God's got your back. This is good stuff right here, isn't it? Y'all loving the book of Ruth? I don't know if you love it or not, and I am, I am though, and that's really all that counts because I'm going to preach on it. Let's all stand.